Good morning. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stop your conversations, but continue those conversations. It's fun to hear the room kind of erupt in conversation. Uh, really, sincerely, I say continue those. I really, uh, one of our real core values here at Hope is that we see people connect to each other. And so I encourage you to, maybe you met a new friend and maybe you're planning to go uh, get lunch. I encourage you to invite those friends. Uh, uh, it's part of the reason actually in our strategy for when we meet and why we meet um, is that we would be done here with plenty of time that we could all go get lunch together. So probably not all of us at once, but um, many, many of us. So I encourage you to continue that, get to know those people. My name is Drew. Um, I'm, a, I'm the pastor here at Hope. And uh, I'm excited to share with you a thing that I've been working really hard at. Um, I, I like overheard in the room some really like power, I'm sure some powerful stories of working for years, working at something and becoming skilled or working through a really difficult moment. I'm going to share not a so intense thing. Uh, we recently, not exactly this one, but we got a papa shot at our house, which has been a dream for a long time. Thanks to Facebook Marketplace, got a steal of a deal, which I have to tell you, right? In Minnesota, you have to tell everyone that you got a deal on it. And it's in our basement. And uh, I think my wife and I might use it more than anyone else. And uh, I have like a strained muscle in my arm from like perfecting my like underhanded toss. But I'd like to tell you that I have worked hard and, and persevered even when times got hard. And I currently hold the, the house record for the most point. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. I'll pay you after the service for your support. Uh, I do hold the 30-second record, I'll say that, in my house, which will probably get broken soon, but it's become a joy in our house. Um, we're, today, uh, we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Job um, and continuing to talk about this uh, a similar idea of uh, continuing to persist even when there's opposition to us. And so in order to get uh, to this and uh, and uh, continue our service, I encourage you to flip to the book of Job if you uh, have a Bible with you or on your phones, or the passages will actually all be right up on the screen, but we're going to continue this series uh, in the book of Job and look at what it looks like um, to continue to persevere when uh, some pretty serious suffering, opposition, and, and even people around you, um, as we continue in Job, tell you to stop um, continuing. So let me pray, and we're going to uh, jump right into this. Lord, uh, you're really good to us, even when things don't seem like they're right. I pray that as um, we look into this uh, story of Job and into your story in Christ, we would uh, be encouraged to cling to you more, that you'd give us great hope and joy, even in the midst of suffering. Thank you that we can gather here today. Uh, thank you for your goodness. I pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start right in Job 2. Last week we started, we uh, began in Job 1, which is a good place to start, uh, is the beginning. And we heard about uh, this interesting plot that Satan has to discourage Job and prove that Job doesn't actually really love God. He only likes God because God gives him stuff. And so uh, Satan came and uh, took all of Job's things, everything from all of his, he was considered the greatest in the East and uh, one of the greatest men around and he was stripped of all of his stuff, his wealth, and not just his wealth, but his family too was taken from him and he was in a dire place, but he, he called out that God takes and he gives 
and God is still good. Praise God. And so we see this, and it seems that's about as terrible as it gets. That could actually really kind of be the end of a, a great little story. Uh, you think, wow, great, that guy still followed after God, but the story continues and still has a lot to do. So we're in Job 2 now to, as the story continues. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. So we've seen this scene before. Where the angels and the Lord are together. And so it happens again. Another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Well, she saw this scene before. Angels and God are together. And Satan or the accuser or the chaos bringer, this word means, um, comes in and God says, where have you come from? And Satan answered, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth in it. So just to start here, we see the same scene and we see Satan is continued. He hasn't stopped. He didn't see Job uh, fall to the ground and, and tear his clothes and shave his head and mourn and say, uh, God, you're still good, even though this is terrible. Um, and he didn't say, all right, you win. Satan went right back at it. It's, in a sense, I like to think of it as Satan's job is to roam. And really, he is faithful to causing our unfaithfulness. This is what he does. He, he, didn't, he didn't do that and say, you know what? You're great. I'm going to find something else to do. Because clearly, Job was still faithful and loved you. Um, Satan continues with his job. I picture him sitting at his big desk in, at his uh, you know, evil, evil empire building. I don't know why I think that way, but he's got his cool sign on his desk and uh, he's continuing to go to work. Uh, and this is continually, this will be his work uh, until one day it ends when Jesus puts an end to it. But I think it's important for us to stop and remember that, that this is his job. He will continually be faithful to his work, uh, which is causing our unfaithfulness. And so he continues to move forward in helping, hoping that we would curse God and we would die. And we're going to see exactly how that plays out. So he, again, comes to the Lord. And the Lord says to him, Well, have you considered my servant Job? We've heard this before also. There's no one like him on earth. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity. Though you incite me against him to ruin him without any reason. So God says the same phrase he says in chapter 1. He says, You've been roaming around, seeing all the people. Have you seen Job? Have you considered my servant Job? He, he's truly a believer, a faithful follower of me, not because of the things I have. And God actually shares a little bit uh, how hard this is, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. God says, I was showing you how faithful Job was by allowing these things to happen to him. And you still don't. You still don't get it. And so Satan responds. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all, of, all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse to your face. So Satan is stating something we, we've looked at. I like to call a vending machine God concept. So he's saying, yeah, we took all of his stuff, and he didn't curse you, but if you threaten his life, that's like really at the core. That's really to the heart of a man. You take his, he, he'll, he'll curse you. He'll turn for you because he, he's functioning in a model that he thinks people are only following and loving God because God gives them things. 
And so if you eventually take all those things away, then they'll stop. They'll stop worshiping. They'll stop giving towards God. They'll stop putting in those quarters, whatever that means of love, dedication, sacrifice, because they're no longer getting stuff from God. So he still believes Satan functions in this way. So he thinks this is how people all function. And I think uh, as he's been roaming the world, he has probably seen this over and over and over. All the, the ancient uh, cities and cultures around him, many function in the same way. It's still now, right? We function in this way that we give things because we get things back. There's not a necessarily a relationship there where I, I love you and I'm with you whether or not I'm getting things back. I'm here to serve you and love you. That relationship we have with God, uh, Satan doesn't see that or maybe believe that. And so he still is on this same kick. He says, no, no, if you take enough away from Job, he will say, okay, you're not giving me anything. This relationship isn't worth it. Um, on a side note, if you search the internet for Jesus' vending machine, you get this picture. <laughs> which, I, which I couldn't, I don't know, I didn't know how to fit this in. But this is gold. <laughs> this is not real if you're looking for body of Christ, Lee's flavored chips. Um, today, though, we do have chips for communion, just, for, just with these. No. I thought... Uh, that was awesome that someone designed us. Um, well, back to it. Let's see what happens then as Satan responds and as God responds. So the Lord then says to Satan, well, very well then. He's in your hands, but you must spare his life. You think taking all that he has around him, all of his stuff, uh, these, these physical things around him, you don't think that's enough? You think now I need to cause illness to him and bring him almost to death. Um, I still believe in my servant, Job. I still think our relationship is a covenant relationship, uh, connected this bond till death that isn't based on what we get from each other. I believe it's still this connection, this uh, love that we've, this vow we've given to each other. So go ahead. Um, let's try this again. It sounds like it's going to get a lot worse. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he afflicted Job. Remember, Job is sitting, he just, everything, from all directions, in a moment he has lost all things. That's enough, right? It isn't Satan goes back to him. And he afflicted Job with painful sores from his feet to the crown of his head. All of him is now covered in sores. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it and sat amongst the ashes. Job has lost all things and now his body is falling apart. We don't know exactly what illness this is. I think, again, like we've seen in other parts of Job, this might be general just so we all can connect to this and understand this. He has sores on every part of his body uh, enough that um, he has to use pottery, a, a chunk of pottery to scrape off this, his body that's falling apart. And he's sitting in the ashes, um, which indicates to us he's actually moved. He's become an outcast and probably moved outside of uh, the normal city area into this pile of ashes where they would put people who are outcasts who maybe had leprosy or other diseases um, that they felt were unclean. They would sit on these piles of ash that were actually like burnt stuff, garbage. He's essentially cast out to the, to the garbage dump to lay and fall apart essentially thrown out kind of with the garbage 
laying there as his body literally is falling apart. I can't, just the, the physical suffering of that, but add the weight of the waves of suffering that he's just, uh, have just come over him from losing all and his family. He's now not just uh, uh, the guy who had all the things and has lost it, but he's now the guy who has all the things and now is cast out and people aren't even with him or around him. He's just left to die. So Satan kept up his end of it. He didn't kill him, but he's leaving him to die. So if losing his worldly possessions wasn't enough, going from the greatest in the east to the least wasn't enough, he now waits for death. An interesting thing happens. A person who we haven't seen yet mentioned in the story, maybe it's a question you had earlier in the story when we heard about all of his kids who had been killed in a storm. His wife comes to him. Where has she been? But his wife comes to him and says, oh, you'd hope. I love you. I'm, I'm so sorry. How are you doing? Can I help you scrape your sores? I don't know what. No. She says, are you still maintaining your integrity? Are you still remaining blameless and upright? Are you still worshiping this God? She says these four words, curse God and die. What a wild moment, huh? He's sitting in ashes, falling apart, and his wife says, come on, Job, curse God and die. We could, we could actually read this different ways. We don't want to be too hard on the wife here. She could just be saying, this is terrible and God is terrible. Tell God off and, and, and maybe he'll kill you then and you could end this. Maybe she's frustrated with Job and all this comes now that she is married to a man who's cast out into the dump and how that's going to affect her life. And she's just saying, curse God and die. I, let's get this over with. She might be thinking in the same way that Satan is thinking that if you curse God, if you turn away from God, then he will also turn away from you. So she's saying, let's just end this. So if, if you stop putting in the quarters, God will stop giving you the chips. And so she's saying, let's just stop in the same way, not knowing, maybe not understanding that our God, even when we turn from him, continues to pursue us, which we're going to look at, but we see in Christ, right? Even while we we're sinners, God still came and pursued us, and not just pursued us, but saved us, rescued us. Maybe she's just truly loves Job a lot and says, I can't see you suffer anymore. Let's, whatever you have to do to end this suffering. One thing we do know though, cursing God does lead to death throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament in the scripture. We see that choosing life means choosing God and choosing death means choosing anything other than God. Choosing to worship our creator brings life and choosing to worship all creation, anything in it, um, brings death. And so this statement rings true, I think, throughout all of scripture and life. If we choose things other than God, ultimately those things can bring death and not life. So to worship God is life. To do other things causes us to walk and slowly fall apart to death. And Job knows this, and so he says, replies to her in his pain, 
You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this Job did not sin in what he said. So another, in another way, he's stating what he stated earlier in chapter one. He's saying that's foolish. That's not wisdom. We must accept God for all that is good and all that is trouble. He's highlighting something I find hard in my life that um, it's easy to say these things are good, so they must be from God and these things are bad. And what's God thinking instead of understanding that God is in heaven and knows all that's going on and all that will go on and trusting that in the good and bad, God is still in all of that. And they, again, just let us know in scripture that Job did not sin in what he said. He still has not turned from God to worship other things. So we see a similar story as we saw last week as we end this next big scene, this next act in the book of Job. Satan comes again, faithful to his mission to cause our unfaithfulness. Job is hurt and suffering, tempted to turn from God. In fact, has someone close to him say, curse God and die. And uh, almost, almost as if spoken uh, on behalf of, of Satan, the accuser. And he says, this is foolish talk. God is still good in good and trouble. We see the same thing happen in another time. And again, we don't want to just sit here and say, Job's, Job seems like a really great guy. Let's all be like Job. And uh, when stuff is hard, not complain. That's really, that's really not helpful to us. We want to look forward to one who is even greater than Job. And we see the same thing actually happen uh, in a very similar way to Jesus. So Matthew 4, Jesus uh, is born in a manger. He's a little baby. Remember this? So sweet. There's animals around. He grows up, becomes a man. He does this ministry. And, and one of the first things we see happen is he gets baptized. He he, he goes through this symbol with John the Baptist that he is um, uh, the symbol of baptism. And, and right when it happens, this angel comes from this story, not an angel, a dove comes from heaven. And God says from heaven, this is my son who am I, I'm well pleased. He identifies Jesus as that happens in baptism. He says, this is my son. This is family. I'm pleased with him. And the first thing Jesus does in the start of his ministry, he goes out in the wilderness and he spends 40 days in the wilderness. This is where the story picks up. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. A huge understatement, I would assume. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Oh, you're wondering? He was hungry. Yeah, he was famished maybe. There's gotta be a stronger word than whatever that word is. Hungry is not very hungry. At least say very hungry. He was very hungry. Could you imagine? And the tempter, the same word actually we see from Job, the tempter or accuser or chaos bringer came to him. So this is Jesus. He's, he's, he's very hungry. He's been sitting in the wilderness, fasting, just being with God, preparing for his ministry. What is to come, which we know will be eventual death on a cross to save all of us, and he's hungry, and the tempter comes to him, and he is going to do his job, which is be faithful 
to try to cause Jesus to be unfaithful. He's going to try to get Jesus to curse God and die. If you are the son of God, he says, then tell these stones to become bread, which is a great first temptation because we hear that Jesus was hungry. Bread would sound really good right then. Any kind of bread would sound really good right then. Jesus answers him. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What a moment that, how easy it'd be for God to just create some bread and eat it and show Satan, yeah, I can do that and I can eat it and you don't. I'm God. I know what I'm doing. I can eat whenever I want. Instead, he, he says, no, no, no. Bread is not the end game here. The goal is to, I was created for, I, I exist to worship God. So then Satan persists, right? He tempts him again. Then devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, remember God had just told him that, you are my son. He's questioning, I don't know if you really are. He says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will con command his angels concerning you and they will lift, him, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your, your foot against the stone. Now he's not just saying, tempting him with things around him. Hey, hey, you don't have stuff around you like we see in Job, his, his physical, uh, the, just the food and his uh, possessions. He's now threatening his life. We're going a little deeper. He's now saying, throw yourself down. It says the angels will protect you. Now we're talking about temptation that's connected to, to life. And Jesus says, Yeah, he does. It is written, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. So again, with scripture, he comes back to him and says, this, this isn't how this works. So again, Satan has to tempt him. Again, he says, he gets really to the real root of who we are. And he took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. So they're standing on the mountain looking at all of the world, all the cities all around them, with all the people and, and all the, the money and all the goods and all the power that is in those places. And he says, all of this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. Now he says, I'll give you everything. It could all be yours. All you have to do is turn from God and worship me. Just curse God and turn your worship to me. Right? Satan has to know that's the if he turns his worship, all things end up going to Satan, right? He just wants us to not worship God. And Jesus says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and they attended to him. It's almost eerie how similar this is. It's uh, Jesus is being tempted in all the ways that we see Job except Jesus responds in even a greater way. He, he says, no, it, our goal is to worship God. We are created to worship God. We see this in the temptation of his, the physical around him. We see this in temptation of his own life being at risk. He's not willing to turn and even being offered <clears throat> power and greatness. In the end, Satan just says, I just need you to turn from God. Curse him and turn to me. And we know, again, turning from God brings death. It's interesting, though, because Jesus actually choosing to, to, 
to turn to God actually will cause his death and bring all of us life. We're going to live because he was cursed. And we see this play out in the passage in 1 Peter as we um, continue here. When they hurled their insults at him, they did not, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. So this is, this is Jesus being prepared to, to, to die on a cross for us. And as he's dying, people are insulting him. The people he's dying for. He doesn't retaliate. And he just suffers. He doesn't make threats to them. I'm God. What are you doing? I'm gonna, you just wait. You just wait till I'm, I die and rise and on my throne. Then you're going to get yours. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. There's a phrase, right? There's, a, there's like a scripty thing to have painted on my wall in my house. In this house, we entrust ourselves to those who judge, the one who judges justly. Doesn't have quite the ring, right, to it, but he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In the good and the trouble, he trusts God. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live right, in, for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, and you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Have you considered my servant Jesus, who is willing to go to a cross so that we would have righteousness, so that we could live, so that even in our cursing of God, we could still turn back to him and have life? He became a curse so that we could live. And now we live because he took his place in that cursed place and he died and we will not die because he was cursed. We can look up from our suffering, our pain, our foolish, the foolish <laughs> advice from ourselves or others. We can look up to the joy set before us in our rescue. Jesus looked up and saw the end game. He knew how this would end. And so he could sit in the suffering that he currently was in. And we too can lift our heads in suffering. Past those telling us to curse God. And we can return to Jesus. And not only does that cause our rescue in our life, but our turning to Jesus actually uh, is us resting in the fact that Jesus will return. And he actually puts death to death. And he actually puts an end to Satan. There'll be a time when Satan no longer roams the world looking to cause our unfaithfulness. It's really good news. He's going to make things right. I wanted to highlight that for us and I wanted to uh, have opportunities for us to connect as a church. And so for the next uh, few weeks as we go through Job, I wanted to share how I've seen this and been really encouraged by this in some of you um, some of you aren't doing this very well, but some of you are. I'm joking. How terrible would that be? Okay, would you please stand up if you haven't been suffering well? Please don't. Please, I saw someone move. Please don't do that. <laughs> I want to highlight a person for you. Uh, you've seen her because uh, she gives her time to sing up here. This is Savannah. Um, She's singing this week here for us. We first know Savannah in our family because Savannah uh, was a bit of a celebrity in our house. Uh, years ago now, when we first uh, uh, 
had our daughter, adopted our daughters. Savannah was a Sunday school teacher for a few years at least. Um, and we would hear about Savannah. So we'd be like at the kitchen table and we'd be praying and I'd say like, oh girls, I read this thing. Do you know this? And they'd go like, yeah. And our youngest Zariah would say like, yeah, Savannah already told me Jesus loves me. <laughs> like, cool, that's cool. Cause I've never told you that. Um, <laughs> Uh, we, we loved Savannah for that. Our, uh, our daughter loves Savannah for that. Um, it's sweet to have that, those people in your kids' lives. Um, she's staying on the worship team, and one of the cool things uh, about Savannah is she's one of the first people to come to us when we announced we were going to uh, start a church here in Columbia Heights. She's one of the first people who came and said, I've been praying, I've been thinking about this, and I'm in. Um, which is a huge encouragement to us to have. We thought, okay, there's at least like three of us who are going to go <laughs> and do this thing. Um, she's been faithful in that and being part of our launch team that helped start this. And um, she's a joy to be around. She's also someone who has suffered uh, very honestly and openly and um, can, continues to choose to praise God and live and not curse God and die. Another person... Uh, I want to introduce you to is uh, Savannah's mom. This is Lisa. Uh, she has many ways to describe her mom, uh, but I've heard her say like, there's not enough words to describe how much she loves her. Or, she's this amazing woman. And so two years ago, when Lisa lost a battle with brain cancer and passed away, um, it, it crushed um, Savannah, un understandably, and her family. And uh, this week, I was praying, who, who can we have share about what it looks like to live with suffering and continue to live with it, but still hold on to that hope that we have in Christ? And uh, I, I think truly, as an act of God working in Savannah and a blessing to me, and I, and I want to bless you with it, she wrote a post. So here's something really great that comes from Facebook. You don't always get to hear that phrase. Um, she wrote a post this week. Um, about her mom and how, how suffering, she's still working in that suffering. It might be something she'll never uh, leave her. And so I wanted to share this with us as, to encourage us um, in, uh, in someone, I think, who is um, learning to do this thing we're reading in Job right now in her life. Um, so let me just read this post to you from Savannah. This is just from this week. Post-trauma reactions still exist. Even two years and three months later, I had a bit of a panic attack at work today, right in the middle of the day, because I read something that reminded me too much of how my mom was shortly, how my mom was shortly before she died. And frankly, my chest still hurts, like it's going to explode at any moment. And I feel like I can't catch my breath. But here's the thing. Those awful and traumatic moments of my mom. That's not who or how she is right now. It's so easy to allow the enemy to destroy my memory of my mom by only remembering those last months as she suffered with brain cancer. But these months are nothing compared to the 24 years worth of memories of joyful, goofy, healthy, strong mom and best friend. They're nothing compared to what my imagination of her is like and what she's doing now in heaven. I share this picture of my mom so often because it's how I like to see her now. 
She's dancing and leaping for joy. And that is only a very minuscule understanding of what is actually like where she is. So even though I feel the pain in my chest, even though it's still hard to know how to exist in the world where my mom doesn't, I want to remember her as she is right now. So I share this beautiful picture once again to remind myself of the truth and to show the world what I see when I think of her. We can choose to trust, to curse God, and to die. We can choose to trust, praise, lead into God, and live. And this is what I look forward to. We have to hold on to this. Death has no power, and that sin has been put to death. And Satan does not get the last word. Let's pray. Lord, you're good to us. In trouble and not, help lift our heads. Help give life to our thoughts and our hearts as we sit in the ash. It might be just a moment this week. It might feel like a lingering burden. It might feel like an enormous rock on us all the time, but we pray that in that we could lift our heads to you, know that you're with us and you're not going anywhere and we're with you. And we would, we would know foolish talk when we hear it and that we could trust and praise you and live. And Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name, Satan would have no place in our lives, in our kids' lives, in our families' lives, that when they hear the words to curse God and turn, they would hear those as lies and know those are not true and that true life comes from holding and clinging to God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. You're, you're really good to us. I pray we'd hold tight to you. That those around us who not, do not know that truth, that we, you'd use us to help share that truth. We love you, Lord. Thank you for Christ and what he's done on the cross. It gives us life. Amen. All right. I was going to read this so that Savannah didn't feel like she had to read it and cry, but I guess I got a little teary myself. <laughs> I do have a few things I want you just to consider as we continue in our service here. We want to take some time to reflect on that good news. Sing together. And I have a few questions. These are in your worship uh, handout you got. These are questions I encourage you to think about now, but even this week, um, to consider, to con continue to let God work in these. Do you know my servant, Jesus? Every day it's a good question to ask. Am I actually trusting in Jesus? Think about where you're cursing God. And maybe by cursing and turning from God, actually bringing death to your life. Who, who around you is telling you to curse God? I actually don't have anyone who says the phrase curse God in my life necessarily, but they might encourage me to turn to someone else to worship or something else. I encourage you to think about your view of God. How full is your view of God? Are you leaning into one? Actually, are you just thinking, oh, God can only be good and do nice things for me. And so when hard things come, that must not be the kind of God I want to worship. What attributes of God do you typically hold on to or forget? And again, I want to encourage you with, do you know someone who needs to know that God is still good even in trouble?
we get an opportunity to bring a lot of hope um, where people might not have it. So we're going to respond. Our worship team is going to lead us in music here. First, I encourage you to take communion around the room. We have two tables in the back. Uh, there's there's gluten-free option over here. Uh, we take communion to remember that. Jesus sacrificed his body. He died and he rose. And we celebrate that every week by going to the table. I encourage you to do that. At the tables, there'll be people who will pray for you. You don't have to say a word. You can just walk up to them, give them the look, and they'll <laughs> pray for you. You can even just say, like, I, I could just, I'm suffering. Uh, or you could say, I'm having the best week of my life. Thank God with me. So they're there. They, they want to pray with you. It's one of the ways that I feel most blessed each week is being prayed for by our, our friends here. So I encourage you to do that. We'll be singing together a few songs. And also, uh, uh, as a response to the gospel, we encourage people to give. And so uh, out of grateful hearts, you can do that online. There's also an offering uh, container back, back there. Uh, wonderful. Let me... Uh, just pray to get us kicked off here and we'll take a time to respond. Lord, thank you for this. I pray now we would respond, that our hearts would turn to you, that this would be an opportunity for us to realign ourselves, to worship you and walk into life with you. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.